Hello and welcome to this bonus edition of the Pure Football Podcast, the podcast that brings you the stories, tactics and stats and rumours about football in Scotland and beyond. And as I mentioned, this is a bonus episode and I've pulled in a very special guest. I pulled in Chris Marshall from the Leading the Line podcast and this podcast is going to be all about the women's football in Scotland. Um, there's been some big changes that have happened that I'm sure Chris will be able to talk us through. Um, but for now, no further ado. Chris, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Thanks very much for having me on. Always always fun to talk about Scottish women's football. It's always quite nice to do it in a place where I'm not having to put the podcast together. So, yeah, a bit, <laughs> bit easier tonight. I think it's probably the best way of putting it. <laughs> so, yeah, Chris, for some of the listeners who who maybe don't know who you are or, or what you do, can you just give us a quick insight into, into you? Um, yeah, sure. So, I, as you mentioned, I run the Leading Line podcast and website. It's a podcast dedicated to Scottish women's football. Um, I do some other bits that are associated with that as well, but the, the website's been kind of running for about a year, but it's probably really pretty much since the World Cup, it's really gathered pace, but I have been going to women's football for a, a lot longer than that and have been kind of covering it now for maybe 18 months. So, yeah, I found myself in the, the position where sometimes I get a, a wee message from somebody like you, Gav, and uh, I'm asked to talk <laughs> about football. Excellent. Love it, mate. So I guess just quickly, so I'm going to put you on the spot here. Um, so you mentioned you've covered women's football for a wee while now. So what's been the biggest sort of highlight or the biggest sort of change that you've seen in that that time? Um, I think, in t- I mean, we could talk about the Women's World Cup is obviously massive. Scotland getting to that World Cup, um, the way it ended was a bit shit, let's be honest. <laughs> um, but getting to that World Cup, getting to go over there and see Scotland at a World Cup was amazing. Um, I think in a domestic front, and I think this is probably where most of our conversation will be about, but obviously we'll speak about Scotland as well. I think the the Scottish Cup final to end the season last season, it was really like a almost like a vindication of all the work that gets done and maybe doesn't always get seen uh, with Scottish women's football. They had this record crowd over 3,000, an absolute bonanza of a game. Glasgow City beating the Hibs 4-3. Um, yeah, it was just a fantastic way to end the season. And it's one that kind of... I think helped keep the momentum going a little bit longer, um, mm-hmm. which uh, which can only be a good thing. But obviously, we're now coming up for the new season, and I'm um, I'm always cautiously optimistic. I think is is the way mm-hmm. you kind of have to be, uh, otherwise you could go down a dark path. Yeah, I think that's the way you've got to be with Scottish football in general, regardless of who's playing. Um, but yeah, I guess so. You mentioned there was a sort of momentum of the World Cup and the you know the the cup final with Glasgow City and Hibs, and and these are all some some real positives that have happened in the last sort of 12 months um, with regards to the, the game in Scotland. And and I guess that I, I want to actually start on a little bit of a sour note um, and get a bit of, you know, your insight and your take on uh, something that happened, which personally I felt was a little bit disappointing. That's, you know, from someone that's not as close to the game as you, but can you just talk about the the situation that happened with Hutchison Vale? And, and you know, that was something that I felt was, was particularly poor and and also I, I didn't feel like it, it really got a lot of coverage did you feel any different um it had the, t- the touch of the inevitable about it so mm-hmm. i i went to one of uh last season I, I made an effort to make sure i went to every team and i've done it i'm going to do it a lot quicker this season but um hutchison vale were the kind of the last team i saw last season um they were playing hearts and hearts were going for the swpl2 title at the time and um, hearts won 14-1 um, and that wasn't an uncommon result for Hutchinsonville. In fact, the fact that Hutchinsonville scored in that game in itself was a bit of an achievement. But I think the 
the kind of the big the big takeaway for me from that game was Hutchinson Vale turned up. They they had one sub. Um, there, there was one member of coaching staff, so he was the coach. He was their match secretary. He was a physio. And at one point during that game, he actually had to treat a, a fairly serious uh, head injury of one of his players on the byline while the game was carrying on. Um, I think if Hutchinson Vale continued again this season, it, it probably would have. You used, 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 used the word sour a little bit earlier. It probably would have soured the, the kind of the new the new approach to the, the league and the kind of the attempt to heighten professionalism in amongst women's mm-hmm. football this season. Um, hopefully they come back. They obviously have a, a storied history in, in football, not just women's football, in football in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think for me, as as the season was progressing last year, the, the right thing felt like it was time for Hutchinsonville to maybe step out the spotlight a little bit um, and kind of sort things out. And, you know, Hopefully they can come back in some form. But yeah, I think it wasn't a great way to end the season. It took a little bit too long, if I'm being perfectly mm-hmm. honest, in terms of the kind of the outcome of it. So what happened was Hutchinson Vale withdrew from SWPL2. That opened up a spot for another team, but that only really happened within the kind of last month. So it's kind of left Burnham with Thistle with this fantastic opportunity, um, but obviously not as much time to prepare for it if it's decision being made maybe before Christmas time. Yeah, that was the thing that sort of really struck me was the... The, you know, the timing of this, uh, the time it took, um, it just felt like something that maybe could have been handled a little bit sharper by all involved. And I appreciate that a number of these people will be doing things on a voluntary basis. So I, I don't want to, to criticise them specifically, but um, I, I do think it just, it, it doesn't help when, you know, um, there's lots of, you know, questions about um, professionalism and, and that sort of thing. And then to see this sort of debacle is the only way that I can really describe it. There isn't really a nice way to put it. Um, but like you said, it gives Muir an excellent uh, opportunity. And that's something that, you know, I hope that they can take this sort of thrusted into the limelight and uh, and run with it and really, you know, be as progressive as they want to be. It's a great opportunity. So I guess that part is the, that's, you know, the, the upside of the downside. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see how that pans out and, you know that that was the sort of the main negative, but um, I guess there was a, quite a big positive in terms of the overall um, Scottish Women's Premier League with Rangers and Celtic um, and the news that they they had made with regards to um, you know the, what they were going to do with the players and you know taking trying to take their game to a similar level as as the men's club with obviously the caveat with it being in the women's but what did what did that sort of news mean to you and how do you think that's been received um i think and i've said it already so i'm going to say it again cautious optimism um i Mm -hmm. think that um the, the, the the opportunity now for players if they want to to make Make money from the game. I think mm-hmm. making a living is maybe a little bit of a stretch for some of the mm-hmm. some of the numbers that have been kind of bandied about. But there are op- opportunities there, obviously, to, to make money from the game, and some of them will be able to make a living. Um, Celtic obviously talked about this last season, and mm-hmm. there is a little bit of a feeling that maybe either whatever was happening back then, Celtic just it never happened, or the fact that Rangers have kind of done it. And let's be honest, probably of the two, Rangers have been the kind of shoutier about it, it's probably fair to say. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. They've probably been the more uh, headline-worthy in terms of some of the things that they've done, but I think Rangers had a lot further to go, or have a lot further to come than Celtic do in terms of the, the chasing down of Glasgow City, and I think if, if you were to ask me, and I think it's important to talk about Glasgow City because they mm-hmm. do have players that can 
make life and football work and they, they do help out some of their players in that regard as well. But Glasgow City still will be the benchmark this season and I think they will go into the SWPL1 campaign as favourites. They have an established squad of the best players in Scotland. Um, obviously, there's exceptions mm-hmm. in that and they want squads, but they have an established squad. They have quite a small, tight-knit squad, but it's one that has a lot of experience. Um, I think with Celtic and Rangers, it's going to be an interesting to see how they assimilate the two squads. I think Celtic have got maybe a slightly easier job at it than Rangers do. Um, Celtic were a lot closer to Glasgow City. They ended Glasgow City's 72-game uh, domestic unbeaten run in the league uh, towards mm-hmm. the back end of the last season after Glasgow City put out Bromby in the, the Champions League. Uh, but Rangers kind of had to rip it up and start again, which at the time wasn't dealt with particularly well. Um, mm-hmm. I don't remember some of the kind of the, the activity on social media that was going on around that, yep. but I think there was an understanding that if Rangers were going to meet the goals that they, they set themselves, there would be a little need for that kind of regeneration. And, and maybe it could have been done in a better way, but they are where they are now. Um, and obviously the, the squads that they have in place are stronger than what they were before. But uh, yeah, some interesting names in amongst them as well. Yeah, so I guess for anyone that, that doesn't know, um, Rangers, uh, I think it's maybe a little bit easier to to relate to for some people, Gregory Vignal is the manager, so some fans will know his name. Um, you know, there was definitely some noise about the way the situation was handled, but I think you're right in what you're saying of if Rangers wanted to take that next step, they maybe had to make these harsh, cold decisions. Um, but they made some interesting moves as well, right? So they've got uh, Jenna Fife brought in. Uh, I think that was quite a, a smart pickup. Would you Would you agree with that one? Yeah, I mean... I- Obviously, the, the kind of headlines for the, the Rangers signings have been about uh, Bala Devay, who's coming from India. Lots of headlines about her. If you have Scottish football Twitter, even if you don't follow women's football, you probably will have seen something about her in the last uh, week or so. Mm-hmm. Um, they also say Sonia Neal as well, uh, a Venezuelan international, Canadian descent. Uh, they've made a couple of signings from Northern Ireland, Demi Vance and Megan Bell. Megan Bell's only 18-19, um, but Demi Vance seems to be getting a good write-up from, from what I've been told. Um, mm-hmm. Experienced Northern Ireland international former player of the year. But yeah, I think the Scottish pickups they've made are probably the best signings at the moment um, Jenna Fife is Scotland number two um, mm-hmm. really good goalkeeper and I think it's fair to say that the goalkeeping department for Rangers is one that's needed to address for a, a very long time um, they've also picked up Megan Cunningham from Celtic which in itself had some interesting repercussions which I think were unfair um, and certainly on the player at least uh, but they mm-hmm. now have a really strong kind of goalkeeping midfield unit I mm-hmm. think they probably still need something at the back. They've got good fullbacks, Emma Brownlee and Dana Burma. They've got Lisa Martinez there as well. And up top, they've obviously brought in. Um, uh, 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 yeah, they've obviously brought in um, some faces, but I think they're a little shy up top as well. And on the wings are quite good as well. So they've kept some of the players, um, which is good, uh, but not a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think the, the big thing for Rangers is how they emerge, which is why. It's the first game I'm going to go to at the start of this season mm-hmm. because I think I'm interested to see how that's all coming together. Yeah, and then I guess to talk us through a little bit about the the changes at Celtic as well, right? So they they brought in someone that's came from uh, Pochettino staff, is that right? Kind so, of, kind of, yeah. So before we move on, the other thing to to bear in mind is along with Gregory Vignal, they brought in Malky Thompson to join the coaching staff. So that's another addition. Um, there's some mm-hmm. change at range as well. So he wasn't there last season. Interesting to see the impact he has. But yeah, Celtic. So they brought in Fran Alonso. He was last manager at Lewis in his English Championship, so second tier. Um, mm-hmm. 
Lewis weren't on a particularly great run of form uh, when he decided to come up to, to manage in Scotland. But yeah, the, the kind of headline with him is he's been part of the Pochettino Cumin uh, coaching staff in the past. Um, so he's come in, um, he's brought a couple of players up from the Championship, Lisa Robertson, who used to play for Hibs, um, was, had a very successful spell at Hibs, was uh, at Durham, and she's come back up. And Jodie Bartles has come from Coventry United, I think. Those two signings, plus uh, two American signings, uh, Summer Green and Sarah T. Garden, who, if you like a random fact, is the partner of Ian Harks, the Dundee United midfielder. Oh, okay. um, yeah, so they've they've come up. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they kind of settle in. But yeah, I think I think the thing for Celtic will be interesting to see how the perceived philosophy of Ran Alonso, so the, the, the expectation is he's a Spanish coach that's come from these um, kind of ideology managers in Pochettino and Cumin. There'll be a and the expectation that the style for Celtic will be quite pass-heavy, that's not really how they've been in the past. They're quite physical. They can get in the faces of other teams, and that's how they've got the better of Hibs and Glasgow City at last last campaign. And I think up top, they have some really good options already in Sarah Ewans, uh, Josephine Giard, and Catherine McGovern, who has, has got a big season ahead of her if she's really going to push on and, and see how she's going to do. But yeah, I think Celtic of the two coming into the season are probably a little bit ahead of Rangers just because I think mm-hmm. it's more settled. But mm-hmm. the wild card is the fact that they have a new head coach and how he implements his ideas will be really interesting to watch as well. Yeah, I think uh, you know when you mentioned the the pickups from uh, America, I, I I can just see the headlines of Summer Green already. Um, if you know if Celtic are able to be successful, I think, um, I think, they've, I think they've used it already somewhere. <laughs> I don't know where. I'm almost certain I saw Summer Green. Uh, yeah, so yeah, they'll absolutely do it. Yeah, I feel like you know one of the things, and this is a, quite a broad statement, so um, please take it with the the intent that it's meant. PR and marketing with um, the women's game in Scotland is something that maybe leaves a little bit to desire. It also leaves a little bit to desire in the men's games. So there's there's not a huge difference there. But these are the things that I think you know clubs can maybe be a little bit playful with and a little bit smarter with to to maybe get a different you know selection of fans engaged. Is that something you feel um, is an opportunity? And maybe not necessarily just specific this player, but in terms of the the marketing of the game, how do you feel that's going? It's uh, it's it's getting better, but I think it's getting better from uh, a low base. I think mm-hmm. I think it's probably fair to say you have some clubs who are totally bought into it. They have their own media teams. So there's been clubs announced implementation of their own media teams. Um, some are a little bit still behind the eight ball in this, as far as I'm concerned. There's some that um, maybe could do more to um, kind of. Just get behind the women's teams a little bit more. Um, Glasgow City, obviously, the established force. They produce a ton of content, but they have got a, a good squad of volunteers that really kind of help them push on. And then you have other teams who are bringing stuff together. I think the one that I always mention, and I always get chin for calling them out, but I think it's worth it because I think what they do is kind of maybe what all the teams could look to do, which is Hamilton Academical. I don't know if you've seen any of their stuff, um, mm-hmm. yep. but they they have made quite a push to kind of get some player interactions on them. They've put some pre-season stuff, but I'm hopeful, and this is my, here we go, here's my first kind of hopeful thing that I hope will not end in tears, but from what I've been told, it seems like we will have a lot more highlights this season um, from clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the competitive fixtures coming uh, start of February time, I am looking forward to the kind of middle of the following week to see how many of the games I'm going to get to watch. But yeah, there's there's teams aware of the fact that it needs more coverage and they are doing something about it. And I think while that's not unilateral, I think that the fact that there are teams doing it is, is in itself progress. 
Yeah, I seen uh, Hamilton with their Instagram takeovers and this sort of thing. So you know that was that was pretty you know a good initiative from them. And and I think unless you you put it out there, then people can't really get engaged with it. And uh, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how that develops. Um, so I guess you know we, we spoke about um, Glasgow there for a little bit, and uh, I guess it would only be right to speak about the the newly promoted team and Hearts, um, who have also made some significant strides in terms of connecting their football organisation between men and women. Um, but also, interestingly, Hearts made quite a, a bold appointment um, and quite a, a statement appointment, I would guess, in the women's game with bringing in Kevin Murphy from Man City. Yeah, so, I mean, well, Ke- Kevin's Kevin's been at Hearts now for a, a few months. Um, he was kind of came in to help oversee this, this change you mentioned in terms of the integration. Um, and he's come in to kind of help Andy Enwood who won the, the SWPL2 title. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's a, it's a statement when it's a, a coach with a lot of experience and, as you mentioned, has been down at Manchester City. He was at Rangers previously as well. Um, and I think Hearts are probably one of the teams that do a good job of kind of shouting about what they do. Um, mm-hmm. Which I think sometimes... And it's a very, I think everybody's a little bit self-effacing at the end of the day, even even some clubs. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's clubs that are very happy to shout about themselves, which is great. Um, but yeah, they do that. And I think that uh, with Hearts and then Hibernian, who have again lost a number of players. So we were talking about Rangers earlier on. Um, as well as Jenna Fife, Chelsea Cornet has gone uh, gone from uh, Hibernian to Rangers. He's lost Jamie Lee Napier down to Chelsea. Fantastic mm-hmm. move for her. Um, Kayla Michie's away to Sweden to play in Patia, another fantastic move, and this is progression for these players. And the regeneration that Hibernian have gone through the last couple of seasons is maybe not at the same level as it has been in the past. Grant Scott, who's been a, was a very successful coach for them as well, has, has left, and um, they brought in Dean Gibson from the, the academy. So I think Hibernian and Hearts, and then you've got Spartans as well. I mean, the, the Edinburgh trio in particular, Spartans have got a very young squad, but they are an established side at this kind of level uh, in women's football. Um, so I think it'll be very interesting to see how they all interact uh, in that respect. And then you also have Far for Farmington and, and Motherwell in that, that top tier. And they they themselves will have their own design to stay up for Farmington. Just avoid relegation on the basis mm-hmm. that Stirling University couldn't beat them. Uh, so Far for Farmington mm-hmm. beat Stirling University twice and that, that was enough to kind of stay up. Motherwell had a, a settling in se- season after being promoted the season before. They've changed manager. Eddie Walecki Black's come in from Celtic, and he was actually in charge when Motherwell won the title. Uh, they still okay. be two title, I should say. Sorry, uh, in twenty eighteen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think there's. I think what what we'll have across both divisions this season, uh, which maybe we didn't have last season, is I think there'll be good competition across the board um, mm-hmm. in terms of from position one to eight in SWPL one and position one to ten in SWPL two, and that in itself can only help in terms of attracting people to come along to the games and, and obviously making them marketing it and kind of shouting out those big games. And the, I suppose the thing, the most interesting thing in that regard at the moment in terms of promoting the game is that the Celtic against Glasgow City game is um, going to be live in BBC Alba. So mm-hmm. I mean, that in itself is obviously a great way to start the season. Would I prefer some way to have some uh, English-speaking commentary on it? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, however... BBC Alba have done a lot from women's football, the same thing they kind of did with uh, the, the Championship, the Scottish yep. Championship, and obviously that's on BBC Scotland. So if that can follow that same trajectory, then hopefully that, that's a good thing as well. Yeah, I think that's a really good point there. I think, um, you know, Alba have, have done a, a lot for the, the women's game, and I think it's uh, it's good that they're, they're continuing to do that. But I think you're right in terms of accessibility. Um, I think to take it to the next level, uh, we need to see more games on BBC Scotland, you know, especially when you see some of the, 
the programmes that are on uh, on Scottish television. Surely to God we can find a way to <laughs> to make that happen. Um, but yeah, I, I guess one of the things I, I wanted to get your take on as well. Um, so Glasgow City have obviously been extremely dominant and have been, you know, had some great runs in Europe and been really effective. Hibs have been quite competitive. How how important do you think it is that the league adds that level of uh, competitiveness with, you know, uh, presuming that Rangers and Celtic can make that step and, and maybe not necessarily challenge for the title right away, but at least put a dent to Glasgow City and Hibs. As I think, um, you know, speaking to some fans of either side of the old firm, they don't particularly like watching their team at, at any stage from a youth, women's, or, a, you know, a senior men's uh, side losing. So, you know, if, if these teams aren't winning trophies, do you think that impacts some of the turnout from Rangers and Celtic fans? Uh, yeah. I remember seeing a tweet towards the back end of last season and Hibs beat Rangers at 8-0. Um, mm-hmm. And some of the reaction to it was pretty gross, if I'm being perfectly honest with you, in terms of some of the comments on the back of it. But I think there is an element of that, the fact that Rangers and Celtic are clubs that are defined by winning things in Scotland. That is that is part of their their makeup. Um, mm-hmm. Whether you agree with that or whether you support either club. That is part of their makeup. That is that's how they they operate. So I think the fact that it's taken this long for them to kind of jump on board this is mm-hmm. a bit poor. If mm-hmm. I'm being totally honest, the fact they're now doing it is great. Um, there's obviously so many things that will come with that uh, in terms of how the coverage is done and what the kind of attraction will be to fans. I think there is still a, a latent um, disregard for women's football in terms of. It's women's football, I'm not going to watch it. Um, and it's about how you change people's opinions of that. And to go back to what you said, Gav, it's it's the fact that there needs to be more coverage out there. You can't form an opinion on something you can't... Well, you can, because social media lets you do that. But, <laughs> you, can, but you can't form a, a, a thought-out opinion on something you can't see. And I think yep. that is the one thing that I always go back to whenever I have a conversation with anybody about women's football in Scotland is, if you can't see it, you don't know about it. So if We'll, we'll trickle into another point I think where it was coming up Gavin which is obviously it's about knowing where the game is how much it's going to cost to get there and what time does it kick off um, yep. and I know that we are very close to the start of the season and I don't know some of the things for that uh, for some of these games at the moment which is is a little bit disappointing uh, if I'm being perfectly honest with you and I, I mean I can go and dig and find it out um, we were talking about squad, squad lists I mean I can go and dig and find them out but I, if I put my fan hat on and I want to be a fan and I am um, going, do you know what, this season I'm going to give women's football a chance. I want to go and see, I'm not going to say a team name because they'll accuse me of picking them out. But <laughs> if I want to go see my team, I should be able to go to my club website or my club social media channel or whatever it is yep. and be able to see those three bits of information, which is where, when and how much. And yep. that's still missing. And that's disappointing. Yeah, I think just to, to echo that I think accessibility is one of the, you know, the key things uh, for any sort of club at any level and any organisation. You want your customer to have ease of access to the product that you're producing. Uh, it's not nice to refer to fans as customers, but if you look at it from that perspective, uh, I think that there is still a bit to be desired. So, um, you know, for example, the as you mentioned, the, there's games on this weekend and the the new uh, the SWPL Cup. Um, and you know it tells you the fixtures but there's no kickoff times there's no locations there's no price um and i know there was you know we won't get into it but there was some issues last year 
about some things that happen with Glasgow City, etc., which is for a different day um, with regards to to pitches, etc. Um, but yeah, I just I think it's something that really needs to be worked on. And you know, the the day that, or sorry, you know, the age that we're living in just now, why can't we have these things now? Why can't this be available? And some of this applies to to the men's game as well. You know, I, I don't want it to sound like it's just a, a an issue with the the women's game. It, it certainly does apply to to you know some levels of the men's game. Um, but you you would like to think that the clubs will. You know the clubs that are trying to take it all under one umbrella or one roof um, will make more of a an effort to make these things accessible for for fans. Um, so yeah, I, I totally echo that. And I guess I'm I'm going to ask you another sort of question that I didn't really throw at you, but if you had um, the opportunity to change one thing or make one thing better within the women's game, what would it be? Whoa, there's a question and a half uh, <laughs> on the spot as well on the spot as well geez oh honestly it is that kind of i mean you could get really deep into it and you can talk about funding and the grassroots movement and the fact there's i mean there's a list i think anybody involved in women's football whether at club level as a player as a coach at the sfa level it's shelly care they'll have a list that they want to get through but for me in terms of the basics it is that where is it? Where is it? How much? That that should be almost like a mandatory thing of your existence as a as a club, and, a, and what has been now being built as a more professional setup. But that's that's what it's been. Done. So the, the the Scottish women's football has gone through a bit of a restructure, which we actually haven't covered. So I'll quickly do that now. Where instead of having kind of a one size fits all. They, they split it, so they've now got a performance arm and they've got a recreational arm. So inside the performance arm, you have the SWPL1 and SWPL2. And underneath that, you've now got two championship levels, kind of north and south, 13 mm-hmm. teams in each. Um, I don't know how much people have seen, but you've got teams like uh, St. Mirren and Livingston uh, in particular, really shouting about their women's team now. Like Livingston have never had a women's team until this season, and they've now got one, and they play at the Tony Macaroni, and they, they've made a couple of kind of eye-catching signings from Harps as well. Um, so there's this kind of like professional side of it and then on the other side of it you've still got that that spirit of just letting people play the game which mm-hmm. let's remember the history of women's football is is short um, mm-hmm. not short in terms of it's not been around for a long time it has been but in terms of actually people being able to participate and enjoy it it's still relatively short so I think that this professional side of it the the, the performance arm of it I won't say professional because that's not strictly true but that mm-hmm. performance part of it um, there needs to be a real focus on making sure that that is the best that it can be. And I don't mean necessarily that all of a sudden there should be 500 people at games. That's unrealistic. And I think mm-hmm. anybody who says that and expects that's wrong, you just you need to look at the, the WSL down south. So they obviously have these big marquee games, um, 30,000, 25,000. Mm-hmm. That week of the Scottish Cup final, the Scottish Cup final was the highest attended game in the UK by at least 1,000 over these games in England. Mm-hmm. So it's easy to kind of get lost in the razzmatazz and while I believe that I think there should be the use of marquee games to attract numbers, I would love to see an old firm game or a Edinburgh Derby or, mm-hmm. you know, Motherwell draw Hamilton Ackies in the in the cup maybe, then you get like a, a Lanarkshire Derby. I'd love to see these games kind of get an opportunity to showcase just to see what it does. Um, if it works, it works. If it doesn't work, then you know what, you try something else. But yeah, I think just knowing where it is, telling people how much it is to get there and then just letting people find it themselves instead of kind of just expecting people to turn up, which yeah. sometimes happens. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And I guess so just 
before we, we finish up tonight, uh, can you talk us through just some of the players that, for anyone that's new to, you know, or wanting to give women's football a chance this season, who should you look out for? And also maybe any sort of wild cards that you think that might be in Shelley Kerr's thoughts. Yeah, so I mean, Scotland, probably a bit background in Scotland as well. They've got European qualifiers uh, coming up over the course of the rest of the year. Started really strongly. They've beaten Cyprus um, 8-0 and then they beat Albania 5-0. Kind of gimmies, um, so mm-hmm. kind of expected results. Their big games come up in kind of April, June, October time when they face Portugal and Finland. Um, those two are the two teams that Scotland sh- are will be looking to get ahead of on the table. Scotland top seeds, um, mm-hmm. and I think Scotland have a really good opportunity. We've got a really good squad. I think I've talked about this with everybody as well in terms of the the, the casserole of nonsense that has been the Scottish men's side for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that is. Something that there's a remedy for, and it's called the women's team. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, as I said, the World Cup, the way it ended was crap. But um, they're good to watch. They've got some really exciting players. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a no-brainer for me in terms of watching the women's team. So, yeah, in terms of the squad, I mentioned Jamie Napier earlier on. She was uh, SWPL Player of the Year last season. She got this kind of move to Chelsea. Fantastic opportunity. It's where Erin Cuthbert is. Yeah, absolutely. And she she's probably going to follow a, a similar trajectory, I think. The difference between Erin and Jamie is that Erin's maybe a little bit more technical. Uh, mm-hmm. Jamie's a lot more energy. She literally can play anywhere and does play anywhere when she played for Hibs. I think it will be interesting to see how Emma Hayes molds her right, while she's down, down south. In terms of players up here, I mean, Amy Muir's at Hibs. She got called up into the Scotland squad um, just before uh, the summer. Uh, then, unfortunately, had to pull out because of injury. And I think you're looking at players such as maybe Progan Hay and Sam Kerr. So Sam Kerr, Glasgow City, another player who's made it into squads but hasn't been capped yet. Um, I think she's on the cusp of maybe having her kind of breakout season. She had a pretty severe injury last, last campaign. Um, but she kind of came back in towards the back end of the season. Um, and I think it should be very key for Glasgow City. Uh, and then you've got other players who might emerge out of nowhere. One of the players that I'm a big fan of, Chelsea McKesson, she won't be anywhere near the Scotland squad anytime soon, but I think there's a good undercurrent of young players, um, especially in SWPL2. One of the things I would say is if you, if you see a Scotland youth uh, women's fixture, so under-19s is kind of the level at the moment, it will be SWPL players in it. There will be very few um, non-SWPL players in it. So it's a good way to get a, a grasp of the quality in the league uh, as a whole as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are a few, but I, I mean, I could probably ask off some more. But there's, those ones have kind of been in and around the squad and maybe will be again in the future quite soon. Yeah, I guess that's definitely some names to look out for for the upcoming season. Uh, as mentioned, the, the games start this weekend um, in the SWPL Cup. Uh, so, Chris, just quickly, uh, I'm going to run down that uh, list of games. So, and if you shout out the game that you think will be the most exciting or one that people should look out for. So, okay. this weekend we've got Spartans v St Johnston, Hamilton versus Dundee United, Hearts versus Muir, Motherwell versus Partick Thistle, Forfar versus Kilmarnock, Stirling Uni versus Aberdeen, Rangers versus Queens Park, or Celtic versus Glasgow Women. What what are those games stick out to you? I think there's probably two. Um, you've got uh, <laughs> I say two and then forget which ones I was going to say that's, cl- that's, <laughs> that's clever um, I think probably one, one of the ones you're looking at is Hamilton Ackies against Dundee United it's probably yep. two favourites in SWPL2 um, mm-hmm. Hamilton who finished second last year Dundee United finished third um, but Dundee United really boosted their squad towards the back end of the season um, and they've made some really good signings they've signed um, Robin Smith and Danny McGinley from Hearts who both won the title uh, last season with, uh, in SWPL2 um, and Holly Napier from Rangers and 
Hamilton Ackies have retained the, basically their entire squad and has complemented it with some really interesting signings. One in particular, Heather Richards, a former Scotland international who's been away from the game and is now back. Um, okay. So it may take a wee while for us to get up to speed, but yeah, in terms of midfields, I think they've probably got the best one going. Um, and then you're probably looking, I think, as one of the teams to look out for this season is Aberdeen. So mm-hmm. they they were at the kind of top level a while ago, and they, they kind of lost their way. Uh, they were playing third tier football last season. They they won that quite comfortably. They're in SWPL two this season. Um, they're in a group with Hearts, Stirling University, and oh no, I'm going to forget a team and get shouted at. Burnham or Thistle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that group in itself will be quite interesting because obviously Burnham, you're new to the SWPL set up. Um, Hearts, obviously, the SWPL one side. And Stirling University, the side that came down from SWPL one to SWPL two. Um, so I think that's an interesting interesting group as well, as is Group D. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a draw that hasn't brought out any of the blockbuster games I think everybody was hoping would maybe happen. But mm-hmm. there's certainly enough interest in there to keep you, keep you watching. Perfect. Um, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how these games transpire. Um, Chris, thank you so much for coming on. Can you let our listeners know where they can find you and find your work? Yeah, man. So uh, you can find me at MFP Tasty. It's mainly pies and women's football. <laughs> uh, and then the leading the line is at leading the line. Um, I couldn't believe my luck when I went to go and I actually had the full title of my podcast on. I was amazing. So at leading the line, uh, the website is www.leadingtheline.com. So the podcast usually goes out once a week. We're in the middle of running three outs. We've got an SWPL1, SWPL2 and SWPL Cup preview all out this week, which we'll be plugging uh, the bejesus out of. <laughs> uh, and yeah, there's a website as well where... The, we try and get stuff on there. Um, so it's, it's me and myself, but Campbell, who comes in the podcast as well, gets gets the odd bit on there as well. And we're trying to push for a bit more player and, and kind of coach content as well. So keep a wee eye on that. But yeah, if you ever have got a question about women's football, anybody who has asked me a question will tell you that I will come and speak to you about it. That's not a problem at all. Yeah, I can definitely agree that you're a good guy. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, it's been a pleasure speaking to you and uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing how the, the season transpires and no doubt we'll be speaking again soon. If you've enjoyed this, then please share, like and tell your friends as it really helps us grow the podcast. And as ever, we'll be back soon.